The reading from the Gospel according to John. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Saying this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and said to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them, that he had said these things to her. If somebody asked you to reduce Christianity to its simplest expression, what would you say? In other words, what is the very essence of our faith? I believe that the best and simplest expression is Christ is risen. Because it's in those very words, Christ is risen, that lies the power of the gospel. In other words, we're saying Jesus is alive. That he's not some historical figure that we just read about in history books. He's not just some myth that man has created. And isn't this the message that Mary Magdalene brings to the disciples that we just heard in this gospel? What does she say to them? She says, I have seen the Lord. In other words, Christ is risen. And not only is this the Easter proclamation, 
But in a very real way, this is what every believer, this is what every disciple of Christ experiences. Because Christianity is essentially an encounter with Christ, the living God. Isn't this what we believe about the sacraments? That Jesus in the Eucharist is the risen Lord. That Jesus in the sacrament of confession When does he give the apostles the power and the authority to forgive sins? After the resurrection. Isn't this what we believe about the scriptures? That when we read the word of God, we are reading a living word. Not a dead letter, but a book that is alive, just as much as it is today, as it was when it was written. And isn't this the beauty and the reality of prayer? That we come before a God who is alive and who waits for us. You know, a few months ago, I I had dropped one of our brothers off at a, a bus station in Times Square, Port Authority. And had a sort of a funny encounter. I I dropped him off, I said goodbye to him, and as I was walking up the uh, the stairs in Port Authority, I've ever been there, I mean, it's thousands and thousands of people. And as I was walking up the stairs, I saw on one of the benches, there was a a Buddhist monk sitting there. And I looked at him and he, he sort of looked at me and looked away and we sort of looked back at each other. We were sort of dressed strangely. And so we both said, you know, hello to one another and just went over and introduced myself. And we just started talking and we had this, really this wonderful conversation. This, uh, this man, this, this Buddhist monk was a very, just a, you could tell he was a very genuine man who was honestly seeking. And in the course of our conversation, he asked me a question. He asked me, he said, if you would find out today that Jesus never existed, like the the historical Jesus, that he never really existed, he asked me, he said, would that matter? Would that destroy your faith? And I thought it was a very profound question because I never really had thought about it that way. And the reason why he said he asked me that question, he said because for him, as, as a Buddhist, he said their faith is not based upon his historical figure, meaning the spiritual truths that he taught were not dependent upon the person. And so he was asking me, is that the same in Christianity. And I thought about it for a moment, and I said to him, I said, quite honestly, it's the exact opposite in Christianity. 
Because I said, without Jesus, there is no Christianity. Because the truth that Jesus was pointing to was himself. He is those truths. Jesus has not left us some uh, moral or, or spiritual truths that are, that are out there or that are separate from him. He is those truths. You know, St. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians, when he says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. Think about those words. Our faith rests in the belief that Christ is risen. So for us, everything depends on the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Mary's encounter with Jesus outside the tomb is the encounter with the living God in the person of Jesus. So if this is true, right, if, if Christ is risen, is your relationship with him alive? Or is it dead? Is your relationship or my relationship with Christ risen? Or is it in the tombs? In the 19th century, there was a somewhat famous philosopher who I'm sure you all have heard of, Frederick Nietzsche. And he certainly wasn't a fan of Christianity, to put it mildly. And he had this very popular phrase in one of his books where he wrote that God is dead. And that sort of became a kind of a popular phrase that many atheists would, would use at the time. It's kind of funny because when, when Nietzsche died, there was spray painting all over uh, Germany, Nietzsche is dead, God. <laughs> but that phrase is, is interesting, God is dead, because what he was referring to, he wasn't necessarily speaking about his own belief, and he certainly wasn't a believer, but he said what he was referring to was a sort of general consensus among the people of Europe in that time. You know, in that time, in the 19th century, they had just sort of passed the, uh, the Age of Enlightenment, where they, they sort of believed that everything could be explained scientifically, that there was no need anymore for revelation or the truths of the Bible sort of were seen as, as childish. And it's interesting because Nietzsche said that this idea would lead to the rejection 
of absolute values and a universal moral law for all individuals. And that in the end, this will lead to despair and nihilism, which is essentially a belief in nothing. And don't we see some of that in our culture and in our world today? That once we live as if God is dead, even though we might have faith in him, if our faith is dead, we end up in despair and essentially believing in nothing. And what's sort of strange is that most of that society that, he was, that Nietzsche was living in was Christian, at least in name. And you might ask, how is it that a Christian society could proclaim in their life, in their thinking, in their actions, that God is dead? Perhaps because the God that they apparently believed in was not really the living God, but a God that was created in their own image and likeness, according to their own understanding, conforming not to what God has revealed, but more to things like political correctness and societal trends. Hence, a God who is dead. A God who, in fact, was never really even alive. What does the risen Christ reveal to us? I think, first off, what the risen Christ reveals to us is that all of the things of the world, philosophy, science, psychology, that all of these things are tremendous gifts. But they are not absolutes. And when we put all of our faith, all of our trust in these things, We're like Mary outside the tomb, weeping. Because if God is dead, what real purpose can our lives take? If God is dead, our life is merely a brief passing moment and nothing else. And if we are honest, when we consider that possibility, 
Don't our hearts naturally rebel against that? And why do they rebel? Is it because we just want to hope that there is something more? It's because I believe, and we know this, in the depths of our heart, that our very life is a sign. It's pointing to something more. The birth of a child, a beautiful sunset, falling in love. What do all of these things reveal? They point us to a presence. A presence that's beyond this world. And yet a presence that is so close to us, so near to us, and so intimate. Where I live in, in New York, I live in the, the Catskill mountain range. And so the weather up there is, is completely crazy. We had 15 inches of snow last week. Yeah, I know you've never heard of that here. <laughs> and last winter, we, had, we lost power two times for five days. And I remember towards the second time, around the third day, I felt like I was on the edge of despair. No running water, no electricity, you know, no heat. And I was just sitting there and all of a sudden, without any sort of sign or without any sort of awareness, the power came back on and the lights came on, right? You'd hear the, you'd hear the, the stove clicking. And all of a sudden, the heat came back on. And almost immediately, all of my frustration, all of my tiredness, just disappeared. And I thought about that night. I thought, what a perfect metaphor that is for what the resurrection is like or what the resurrection of Christ means in our life. Because if God is dead, then our life is like without power. There's no heat. There's no water. There's essentially no meaning. But once that power came back on, Life became joyful. And so it is true with the living God. A relationship with the living Christ brings joy, peace, and comfort. Notice I didn't say an easy life or a life where everyone's going to understand you, no one's ever going to 
cut you off in traffic or have any sort of problems. But a life that's much deeper than those things. A life that is essentially rooted and eternal. And I think, you know, what does this mean for us? Practically, as Christians in the 21st century, what does this mean for us? I believe that it means quite simply that we simply can't live like everybody else. There has to be something different about our lives. And I'm not talking about the kind of food we eat or where we go to school or where we work or or any of those things. There has to be something interiorly different about the way we face reality. About the way we stand before life. You know, this is a, an age-old question, but I think it's a, a very profound one. If you were put on trial tonight for being a Christian, would you be found guilty? Would the jury find enough evidence to convict you? And when I talk about evidence, I'm not talking about externals. I'm not talking about just going to Mass on Sunday, having the bulletin to prove it. I'm not talking about just avoiding serious sin or saying our prayers. Because in some ways, that's only the beginning You know, St. Teresa of Avila, great Carmelite, when she was 39 years old, something very strange and very beautiful happened to her. She had what she referred to as a, a second conversion. She had entered the monastery at 20 years old. You might ask, how can someone living in a convent or monastery have a second conversion? You know, she wasn't living in serious sin. She was praying, practicing virtue to some extent. But as she would often say is that she did not belong fully to Christ that she would talk to guests in the parlor for hours every day about prayer, about the spiritual life, about God. In some sense, all the time, seeking God outside of herself. 
And all of a sudden, one day as she's walking in the, the convent, she comes before a statue of Jesus. And the statue is of Jesus at the pillar. And she looks at him, his hands tied, covered in wounds. But his eyes pierced hers. And she said in that very moment, just by gazing at that statue and seeing his eyes look into her, she said that the beauty of Christ all of a sudden removed all of these attachments or obstacles or distractions that she had within her. And her sort of lukewarmness was turned into a a fire. And in a matter of moments, she went from being an ordinary Christian, someone who was fulfilling her obligations, to a woman who was passionately in love with the Lord. And this is why our relationship with Jesus can never be static. If we're not, in a sense, moving forward, then we're moving backwards. I mean, isn't this true in all human relationships? You know, I had a group of friends back home where I grew up who we were friends in high school and kind of college we drifted apart and sort of life took us in different directions. And for the first couple of years when I was in religious life, we would get together maybe once a year or once every other year. And all we would ever do in those gatherings was talk about the past. And you know, obviously that's not necessarily a a bad thing. But the reason why we always talked about the past was because we didn't have a present, which meant that we wouldn't have a future either. Or in other words, we didn't have a relationship. And so we just clung to the past. And so why is this important? Because it's this reminder to us that Jesus is a living God. He's not a thing of the past. He's just as much present right now as he was when he walked the earth. And this is why our relationship with him needs to be alive. Reading theology, right, the lives of the saints, 
praying the prayers of, of other holy people is very important, very necessary. But on some level, we're reading and we're hearing about somebody else's relationship with Christ. What about yours? Are you fostering your own relationship with Him? What would your book of Psalms look like? What would a prayer to the Holy Spirit or to Mary look like from your heart? And there's, a, there's a story of a monk who was a, one of the, a young monk, very brilliant young man. And he went before the, the head of the, the monastery, and this, the abbot was asking this young monk these certain questions about prayer, about the scriptures, about theology. And this young monk was sharp, he answered everything correctly. And the older abbot was listening, listening to this young monk explaining all of these brilliant answers. And the young monk asked the, the abbot, he said, what do you think about my answers? And the older monk said, you missed it. Those aren't your answers. They're somebody else's. I want to know what your relationship is like with Jesus Christ. One of the ministries that I'm involved in is in spiritual direction. And you know, the basics of spiritual direction comes down to this very question. What do you perceive God is doing in your life? In other words, what do you think God is saying in your life? And that question presupposes two things. One, that God is alive. And that too, you have a relationship with him. Daily contact with him through prayer. You know, sometimes people think that they are in the dark night, right? People will say, God has, has abandoned me. Or, you know, I haven't felt God's presence in a long time. And obviously that's, that's a very real thing. But my first question when someone says that is always, what does your prayer life look like? And eight times out of ten, the answer is always 
Well, you know, I really haven't been praying much. That's where your darkness is. That's where your absence is. And so, my brothers and sisters, we know in our minds that Christ is risen. This is what our faith proclaims. But it is in prayer and in this giving of ourselves to God as best as we can in the midst of our struggles and in our poverty where we experience this reality in our hearts. Because if Christ is not alive, if Christ is not risen, then who are you speaking to? Why are you here? As we begin this retreat tonight, Let us pray for that grace to be so brave as to take that plunge from our heads to our hearts so that the living God, Jesus himself, cannot just be an idea or a theory or even a nice thought. but the very reality in, in which each one of us lives. Because after all, Christ is risen. Amen.